0: Are you tired of scrolling your feed only to see the highlight reel version of motherhood? If so, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Motherhood Intended Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Baird, and I'm a passionate mom here to support women like you in their unique journeys to and through motherhood. I have been through it all. We're going to be talking about things like trying to conceive, infertility, IVF, surrogacy, mom life, and more. It's time to get real about what it takes to be a mom and come together in the fact that things don't always go as planned. So here we go. Hey, it's Jacqueline. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone is having a great end to your summer. I know everyone's schedules are a little bit different, but we are winding down here. School for us starts in about eight days, so we've got a lot to do in the next week. I feel like I have so much to get prepared for the school year, especially with my oldest going off to kindergarten. It's just like a whole new experience for us both. You know, I didn't think much of it until the last couple of weeks. And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, do I have everything he needs? Am I signed up for all the right emails? And do I have all his supplies? And I'm just I don't know. I'm sure it's just my own anxiety about him. Growing up and going to school for the next so many years, that is that is hitting hard this week. But we are sneaking in one last family vacation. It's been planned for a while, but our whole family, extended family is getting together at a a rental house, you know, in the area, which is actually going to be the weekend after the first day of school. So still more fun to be had, but summer is definitely winding down. And of course, it's been a very exciting week or two in my world because of our embryo transfer with our gestational carrier. You'll hear me use the term gestational carrier and surrogate kind of interchangeably. It's all kind of the same thing, but traditional surrogacy is when you are working with a woman and using her eggs. So she is inseminated or using her egg and donor sperm and carrying the baby a gestational surrogate is one that is carrying, you know, our embryo. So it's our DNA. She is carrying the embryo. So if you hear me say GC, that stands for gestational carrier. If you hear me say surrogate, same thing. It's all the same. I don't know. sometimes GC flows out of my mouth. Sometimes surrogate does. So just so you know, that's what I'm referring to. But it's been an exciting week because we've had our embryo transfer, but I don't want to spend too much time on that today because I have an amazing guest in store for you. So there will be a bonus episode coming out soon where I will kind of break down our own personal experience so far with surrogacy and kind of where we're at. But if you just can't wait for the results and you want to stay up to date more in real time, be sure to follow me on Instagram at motherhood underscore intended. That's where I usually share about my own life and about the podcast and everything happening as it's happening. So be sure to give me a follow on Instagram. And before we dive in, a quick reminder that if you haven't already, join us in the Motherhood Intended Community Group on Facebook. It's a great place to bounce ideas off of other moms, get recommendations. I just started our own little micro conversation off of the group for anyone going through IUIs, IVF, or anyone who has been through IVF already and who can offer up some support So that's been a really great tool. There's a lot of awesome conversations going on in there. Women supporting each other in their cycles, keeping each other up to date, checking in on each other, giving doctor recommendations. Of course, none of it is medical advice. It's just a support group, but it's been really awesome. So I'm going to start doing some more of these breakout conversations through the community group on Facebook. There's a lot, lot to come in that group. Join us. So today's guest is somebody I actually met through a college friend of mine years ago, and I was so excited for our connection to come full circle recently so we could connect and be on the podcast together. I'm going to be on her podcast. There are just so many things that align with her story and mine and the work we're trying to do in the world. So I am super excited to have her on the show today. Her name is Bryant Liggett, and she is a marketing professional and entrepreneur. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Anthropology from the University of West Florida. With over a decade of experience in digital strategy, she has served clients in diverse industries, including food and beverage, beauty, healthcare, and media production. Beyond her professional achievements, Bryant is a passionate advocate for women's reproductive health. As a long-term IVF patient, she understands the challenges firsthand. In 2022, she won the self-made annual pitch contest with her novel idea, the Fertility Resort. Teaming up with her friend and doctor, Erin Attaway, they've created an international digital platform that empowers women with the tools and resources to tackle the ups and downs of the fertility journey. Bryant's dedication to marketing excellence and her commitment to supporting women through the Fertility Resort exemplify her as a visionary leader and a catalyst for positive change. Take a listen as Bryant bravely shares her own personal fertility story and gives us an inside look at what the Fertility Resort is all about. Hi, Bryant. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. We have a mutual friend, and when she kind of put us in touch, I was like, Absolutely. I need to hear about everything that you're doing in your life and all this amazing stuff you're putting out into the world. But for our listeners, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you and your husband been married? A little bit about your fertility journey, and we can kind of start from there.
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am definitely an avid listener of Motherhood Intended, and I very much appreciate the platform that you have created because this is hard. Yeah. Um, just in general, like yeah. this is hard. And so I'm a huge supporter of yours and I'm just so excited that we got to reconnect. I know we met like 10 plus years ago yeah. when <laughs> I used Back to in live our with one of your college friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. The world is so small. It is. Um, But yeah, I'm just excited to be here. So my husband, Sam, and I, we've been married actually two and a half years, but we started trying for a family about five years ago, scandalous, whatever you want to call it. I have multiple (laughs) sclerosis, and I went through a really, really difficult um, flare-up about six years ago, and fortunately, I kind of went into a, a small remission after that, and my doctor, my neurologist, was essentially like, if you want a family plan, you need to do it like right now because just of the way the medication works with multiple sclerosis, like it's very difficult to family plan while on medication. You have to be washed for a certain amount of time. It's kind of a complicated endeavor, even though pregnancy in general is allegedly really good for multiple sclerosis patients. But anyway, so we were like, okay, guess we should try. And so we started trying about five years ago, got pregnant pretty quick. And then miscarried at six and a half weeks. And at that point, it was like, you know, literally was just blindsided by it. Kind of. We both come from really large families. I'm one of nine kids in like a yours, mine, and our type situation. Both my parents are married multiple times. Lots of half siblings. Mm -hmm. And then Sam is one of six. So infertility was not something that like had ever crossed our minds as a possibility. And I kind of thought that maybe we got pregnant too soon after stopping my MS meds. Like maybe it was something to do with that. I like blamed everything possible except for the fact that maybe I just am infertile. Like I literally blame <laughs> everything except for that. Yeah. Well, of um, course, we all. that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. So after that, that was pretty devastating. That miscarriage happened on Christmas Eve of 2018. And so we just decided to like put a pause in it for a second and just like recoup, I guess. I don't know. I just felt really, I was really devastated by that because I was so blindsided by it. Right. So we kind of put a pin in it. And then six months later, started trying again. And then we ended up getting pregnant in January of 2020. And then we miscarried again. And at that point, my OB was like, I still think it's a little too soon. This is just an accident. Chances are this is never going to happen again. You know, all the things that your OB says to you, you know, Mm -hmm. and not in a bad way. Just statistically, she's like, it's been two times now. It's not going to happen again. Right. Yeah. So then we got pregnant again that July of 2020. And that was like an excellent pregnancy up until I started bleeding at Mm -hmm. 12 weeks. Hit all of our milestones. Everything was going great. My OB was like, see, this is the one. Like, you're totally fine. All your numbers look fabulous. Everything's measuring perfectly. You know, it is what it is. And then I was at work and I, you know, stood up and knew I was like, oh, no, something's wrong. And you just know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to the hospital and. um. That was like a pretty traumatic experience. I don't think hospitals are necessarily prepared for miscarriage. I think there's some flaws in that system of how they treat women who are going through like first trimester miscarriages or even second yeah. trimester, I think. Like there's a lot of disconnect there. So my doctor wasn't on call that day, my OB, but we were in the same hospital that she works in. We went and the doctor was like, well, we of course there is no heartbeat. And They were like, we can do a DNC right now or we can send you home. But if you go home, just so you know, the rest of this process is not going to be like a six or seven week miscarriage. Like if you start vomiting, come back. And at the time, I just didn't even I just didn't know what I didn't know. Well, right. Like, And I was and I think I had like blacked out. I'm not even going to lie. Like the whole thing I can barely remember. Yeah. And so my husband took me home. And then in the middle of the night, that night I woke up, had to vomit, started vomiting in the bathroom and then passed out on the bathroom floor. So then he picked me up, put me in, in the car and drove me right back to the hospital. And I remember that part really vividly. I was bleeding so badly. And I remember being in the line trying to get to like check in and being in a wheelchair and like blood seeping out for me into the wheelchair and like being just in complete shock. Like that, yeah. that was happening. Sorry, this is getting really deep, really fast. I apologize. No. You know, you
0: are in, in the right orbit right here. This is this is thing, <laughs> okay. Cause this is real. This is your story and this is what happened. And as you're telling it, I'm just already feeling like I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, and it's just like this out of body experience where you're like, you're there, but Completely. like really not. It's like you're watching it kind of, but it's, it's, it's insane.
1: And like, finally, we get checked in and we get to the front and I actually turn around and throw up on the side of like off of my wheelchair. And Mm -hmm. the lady was like, okay, let me get you back there because she like recognized that something was wrong. You know, because they they didn't know if I was like having an ectopic pregnancy or whatever. All my husband said is we're pregnant and we're miscarrying. Like the check-in lady didn't know. Yeah. And so they took us back. And fortunately, I had the best on-call doctor of all time. And he just held my hand and was like, listen, We have to get this out of you right now. So Mm -hmm. we're going to do a DNC. You're going to be awake. And that's just what has to happen. And he was wonderful. He held my hand. My husband sat there and held my hand while they did a DNC while I was awake in the middle of the ER. And like, that was it. And then finally, during that time, my OB was actually on call that day. So I was able to talk to her. And again, she was like, this is just, this is just like an accident. This isn't like a thing you need to worry about. You're obviously getting pregnant. So you just got to keep trying. And Mm -hmm. that really stressed me out. I did not think that that was appropriate or. I just didn't think that was the right answer to what was happening at the time. And so I called my mom and my mom had, so both my parents were married like multiple times and my mom had me and my little sister much older in age. She got pregnant with me. No problem. She was 40. But when Mm. they decided to have one more baby, my little sister, she was 45. So she actually did go to a reproductive endocrinologist to get some help with that. And that is who my reproductive endocrinologist is now. Which is like very sweet. My little sister was one of his first babies that he ever Aww. had, so like that's pretty cool. What a full circle um, moment! <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Like it's really awesome, and I absolutely adore him. So I had my mom just tell me who I needed to call. She told me to call him, and I got in to an appointment. We had our DNC the end of October of 2020, and so we got in to see him in November. And he was like, "No, there's something definitely wrong. Like this shouldn't be happening." And I guess like the thing with reproductive endocrinologists that's so interesting to me is that they're really good at getting people pregnant who have never been pregnant before. But for Mm -hmm. people who have recurrent loss, I'm realizing it's still kind of a foreign subject for a lot of professionals in the industry, at least that's been my experience. The science is incredible. It does so much, and I'm so fortunate to have that science. But for people who just continuously lose babies, healthy babies... There still is very little research about it.
0: Yeah. It's been my experience as well. And how you were saying your OB still wasn't worried and like, oh, just try again. It's a good thing you can get pregnant. I'm like, there's so much more to it, though. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, so much more staying pregnant. Like, there's there's so many things that can after my experience, and I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like amazing to me that babies are born every day. I'm just like, there are so many little things that can go not the right way. It's like a true miracle. I swear. But you're right. I definitely think there's like a disconnect. I couldn't be any more grateful either for a reproductive endocrinologist and what they're able to do. That's why I have two sons. But in the same token, they really don't know what to do with you when you can't stay pregnant. It's it's a whole nother ballgame for sure.
1: It really is. And I feel like I'm like the unicorn patient in every situation, you know. But when I went to see him, I felt really safe. I absolutely adore him. And his first like line of defense, obviously, RPL panels, everything came back pretty normal for the most part i do the only thing that he could find was that i had an arcuate shaped uterus which is i have like a really small septum right at the top but it's so small that it's not even worth doing surgery on so that was like the main thing that was found i also i do have factor two but i've known that for a really long time and i take a baby aspirin for it every day so that is mm-hmm. just a clotting disorder the most common one for pregnancies is like factor five okay. um Or the lupus anticoagulant, like I think that's the same thing. So I have factor two. So other than that, like very treatable things, even at the time. So now, two years, three years later, turns out I have a lot more wrong with me than what we initially thought. It took, honestly, IVF to diagnose me with a lot of things like such a diagnostic tool that I don't think people really understand how cool it really can be to learn more about your body that way. So anyway, our first line of defense was he was like, let's do an IUI. You know, you can get pregnant. Let's just see what happens. So we did an Mm -hmm. IUI, got pregnant. This was the first time I had ever been offered and we miscarried at seven and a half weeks. There was a heartbeat, six weeks, everything measuring on time. Went in a week later, the heartbeat had slowed down. It had dropped to like under a hundred beats per minute, which is like obviously not a great sign. Um, And he was like, The baby was still measuring on time, but he was like, that's not great. Heartbeat should be much higher at this point because it was much higher the week before that. Then we went back um, a couple of days later. I think it was like four or five days later for a checkup at the end of the week. And then there was no more heartbeat. So at that point, he was like, we're doing DNC and we're going to test the fetus. In retrospect, I'm so annoyed that they didn't offer me that in the hospital when I had my DNC with my third loss. Yeah. Like, that really irks me that that wasn't even offered to me. But again, I just didn't know what I didn't know. Like, yeah, and that's exactly. just what it was. And the worst part um, about
0: not even knowing what you don't know, it's like not knowing what you don't know in that intense, vulnerable situation because you're already not yourself. And so you couldn't even like remotely begin to think of what to even ask or or anything. And oh, the hindsight part sure. is, is so frustrating. But that's that's why you're doing what you do. And and. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's just there's so many emotions and you literally black out. Like yeah. like you said earlier, out of body experience. That's literally what happens. And so we did our DNC with that one and we did genetically test that one and that was actually trisomy 13 which is not compatible with life. So in a weird way that gave me some relief a little bit and you know, my doctor was like, "Okay, so you know, you can get pregnant we cannot rule out that these were all chromosomally abnormal babies because the only proof that we have of miscarriage so far is this one right. that tells us what happened, right? So he was like, let's do IVF and let's genetically test your embryos. Like, because if that's what the solution is, then we can get you some normal embryos, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. So we did our first round of IVF, which um, did not go like, as great as it should have, I guess, like they were really surprised because I have a pretty high AMH, which turns out I have PCOS, but I didn't even get that diagnosis for an entire year later after that. And so we did our first round of IVF and we only got one embryo, but it was euploid. So that was great. And then we decided instead of transferring, we'll just jump right into a second round because they offer here, at least at my clinic, um, Mm -hmm. shared journey experiences. So if you buy so many rounds of IVF, you get a big discount on the total package. So we had done that. I was really glad that we did that. So we did one more round of IVF and we got Five embryos, but only two of which were genetically normal. Okay. So we had three total euploid embryos, and we decided to do our first transfer in December of 2021. So with your first transfer, beta numbers were great right off the bat. I'm like a crazy person and I take, you know, a first response pregnancy <laughs> test starting three days past transfer. And then, of course, like yeah. measure all the lines <laughs> and the line anxiety is so a oh real my gosh. thing. Like, same.
0: I had like a, a whole crazy piece person. of paper, like taped them down so I could like look at them all. I was
1: I'm the same. <laughs> yep. I just like there's no other way to do it in my like I honestly, just, like, would there's, rather there's know only than not
0: know exactly, and there's only like so much sense of control you can feel in these kinds of certain situations. So like for me, it's almost like I thought I could change the line if I just kept staring at it. But yeah,
1: one thousand percent. But you're so right; it is like it is absolutely a sense of control thing. So yeah, everything was going well, and then like from my second to third beta, I believe, like my numbers did not grow at all, and so then that was weird. Mm -hmm. But then they kept doing betas essentially like every like three days after that at that point because they were like, we got to track this and see what's going on. So my beta kept growing, but it wasn't doubling, but it kept growing. And we get to our first ultrasound. Oh, and actually, I should back up. This was the first time I realized this pregnancy that my first sign of pregnancy was joint pain. And it was like within two days after transfer, I had debilitating joint pain in my knees and in my ankles and in my wrists. And that was really, really, really strange. And on this transfer, they had had me on heparin, which was kind of random, like as opposed to Lovenox, but that clinic just likes to use heparin instead because of my clotting factors. Before, I would just be taking baby aspirin, but this time they were like, let's do heparin and see what happens. Well, I ended up getting heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, which is like a really rare thing that can happen when you have an autoimmune disease. And you take heparin and it causes your platelets to drop like significantly. Oh, my gosh. And you can essentially like completely screw up your whole life with heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. I woke up five days after transfer. And I was like, there's something wrong. My legs had turned like spider webby, blotchy, like white and red. And I was Mm -hmm. like, there's something weird going on, but it's a Sunday. So I like tried calling the emergency line and I couldn't get through. So I went to my pharmacist. I like walked into Walgreens and I was like, can I speak to the pharmacist? Like, I need to know what's going on. And he looked at me and he was like, you have to go to the hospital right now. Like, he was like, What what did I give you? And I was like heparin. I just did a transfer. I have multiple sclerosis. Like went through the whole thing. He was like, you have to go to the hospital right now. So at that point, my nurse had actually called me back, like right then, and she was like, come here because they're attached to a hospital. So I went to my clinic attached to a hospital, and they ran my blood work real quick. And yes, I had stopped heparin, took some other medication. I don't even remember what it was. Again, I'm like blackout mode. I'm like not sure what's happening. Kind of scary. But the baby was still growing, which was crazy. Get over that. They switched me to Lovenox. Things temper out as far as like my symptoms are concerned. And we start going into week five and a half is essentially where it was when I had my first ultrasound. Everything looked great. Everything was measuring on time. Shockingly, even though my blood work did that weird thing, but that would have been, you know, around the time I was still coming off of, you know, the heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, So they thought maybe. Had something to do with that, yeah, yeah. So we ended up going to our second appointment ultrasound, which was would have been like right after six weeks. I went into that appointment and ended up being a blighted ovum, and I had never heard of a blighted ovum before. I had no yeah. idea what that was. Like, essentially, I was just an empty sack. So then they were like, "Okay, well, this blighted ovum obviously had to have had something to do with the heparin induced thrombocytopenia. Like, there's no other explanation for it, right?" There just isn't because obviously healthy embryo, everything was going well, essentially until you all of a sudden your platelets dropped, like, so let's blame that. Not their fault. I get, I probably would have done the exact same thing if I were in their shoes. So that was our fifth loss. But at that point, I like started to panic. This was a healthy baby. Like there's no reason why this should have happened. So what I did was I started looking up reproductive immunology. I was obviously new. I had immunological issues. So I found a doctor in Chicago where you are. Um, nice. She's like the number one reproductive immunologist in the country. And I got on her waiting list, which was six months. And I was like, Um, I'm not doing another transfer. I'm not doing anything until I see this doctor. I traveled to Chicago and I walked in and she like took my hands and was like, you know, we're a reproductive immunology clinic. She was like, but really, we're a recurrent loss clinic. You're in the right place. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm in the right place. This is amazing. I felt so much relief. I mean, they did so much more. And that's Essentially where I ended up getting my PCOS diagnosis, my hypothyroidism diagnosis, just because their measurements, their margins were so much narrower for like Mm -hmm. ideal pregnancy than most reproductive endocrinologists are. Okay. So I learned so much from them. To this day, the best care I've ever gotten from any clinic, from any doctor ever. They were fantastic. That's um, amazing. I can imagine it really how you was. felt
0: like a weight off your shoulders when she said that, like this is a reoccurrence. Complete It's like, I don't know if you felt this way, but like, it almost starts to feel like you're just this experiment that everyone's like, oh, okay, well, that didn't 100%. Work. Scratch that. We'll just try this again. And like, meanwhile, your mental health and everything is just piling up. And it's like, does anyone see the full picture here? Good for you for doing your research and for putting a pause. Like I'm not doing another for until like more is figured out because it sucks that we I'm as women, sure. like we have to do so much advocating for ourselves. and Advocating our people, for ourselves.
1: Which is like literally a whole
0: full-time job in itself, of course. So it's like, uh, good for you. As you're t- telling me this, I'm like, that is how I felt. I'm like, I am
1: not this weird experiment. Like, I'm not going to just keep hoping for the best without more. Information. Right, right. With, I can't just keep thinking that one day I'm going to fall on the right side of statistics because right. I'm not. Like, yeah, I'm proving that time and time again that I'm not falling on the right side of statistics. They like did weird things where they measured my natural killer cells and my cytokines, my T cells, essentially because they obviously knew I had autoimmune disease. And they Mm -hmm. also knew that because of my symptoms from my fifth pregnancy with the joint pain and all of that, they realized that I was getting pregnancy-induced rheumatoid arthritis which is also strange, but it was an indicator to them that obviously my immune system is going complete haywire whenever I do get pregnant. And it recognizes it right off the bat because my symptoms literally could start within 48 hours after transfer. Wow! Yeah, so There's just so much more to it than I think anybody kind of realized at this point. So we ended up gearing up for another transfer. And at the same time, my dad got really sick. He got COVID and my dad was 93. I mean, so mm-hmm. old. He had done so well you know, up until that point and he ended up getting COVID and was hospitalized and he ended up dying of COVID encephalitis. So long COVID um, Mm -hmm. because he had multiple different types of cancers throughout his life. But as soon as he got COVID, it just completely opened up the doors to all the things that have been wrong with him in the past, like essentially came to light after he got COVID. So anyway, I rescheduled my transfer because I was like, I'm determined to tell my dad I'm pregnant and staying pregnant before he dies. I don't know if it was like me trying to cope with like everything that was happening or we knew he didn't have that much longer. And anyways, so I ended up doing a transfer in August of 2022. And then I ended up miscarrying 10 days before he died. But I never told him Mm. that I had miscarried. I just Mm -hmm. carried on. So he died thinking that I was pregnant. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted him to think that. So, yeah. And then after that, that was a really hard little bit of time in 2022. And... Essentially, I just was like, F it. Like, I'm just going to do this last transfer and see what happens. You know, obviously, I'm on a pretty like intense protocol from my reproductive immunologists. They didn't really have any kind of explanation as to why I would have miscarried because even in their measurement size, like I was doing great. My betas were climbing perfectly normally. There was no reason to miscarry again. They were like, let's do another transfer. This is your last embryo. Let's do it. See what happens. So we transferred our last embryo in December of 2022. And again, everything was going great. Everything was perfect. Um, We got to like six and a half weeks and I started bleeding. And this time it was a subchorionic hematoma and it was a huge subchorionic hematoma. And that is just a mystery diagnosis in itself. It's so fascinating to me. Like, And I know it happens to so many people who go through IVF. I know it's incredibly common, but like... Mm -hmm where do they come from? Nobody yeah. seems to understand like where they come from. But it was one of those situations. I had zero cramping. I literally stood up and I felt like, I the only thing I could probably explain it or like mm-hmm. I would equate it to like what it feels like when your water breaks because that's what happened when I stood up. I mean it oh just poured out of me. Yeah. And
0: of course it was a Sunday again. Always. I kid you not when I was pregnant or or needing to take my kids to the doctor anything it is always on a weekend. It's like I don't know the universe always it's like, "Oh, you need something?" No. Things always happen on a weekend. It kills me. Yeah. Uh.
1: Always, always. But fortunately, at this point, I had all of my nurses and my doctors on speed dial on my cell phones. So fortunately, my doctor went and met me at the clinic and I got diagnosed with a subchorionic hematoma. Heart rate was totally fine. But I guess where the subchorionic hematoma was, it was like so big and it was pressing right where they said the umbilical cord would be attached to the placenta. And they were like, normally subchorionic hematomas are fine. But because like it was literally causing like my... To be misshapen because it was so much blood. And they were like, you're probably going to miscarry. Like there's no, you just have to prepare yourself for that. They were like, there's so much weight on that point right there that there's no way you're probably going to get through this. And they were right. And a week later, we went back and there was no more heartbeat. I hadn't bled. I hadn't done anything post that subchorionic hematoma. But yeah, so we ended up doing our seventh DNC. And we did test the tissue of this one just to make sure that there could have been an error in, you know, our genetic testing just yeah. to make sure, you know. Yeah. And it was a perfectly, perfectly healthy baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of just at that point went into like, well, maybe that's just not in my cards. Like, mm-hmm. is it my body? Is it. You know, that's something, a conversation that I had with my embryologist like, quite a bit. I was like, okay, obviously science is incredible. But like she said, there are some things that we're just never going to know. Life is always going to be a step ahead of science. It just is. Yeah. And she was like, we know that there can be tiny microscopic flaws in embryos that we don't have the technology yet to see. That is always the possibility. She was like, do I think that's the case with you? I don't know. But what are the other explanations? Like, what are the other explanations? Right. And so at that point, then I also got a diagnosis of APS, which is fine because I was already on Lovenox on all those things. So like that was just going to be a thing. Um, I don't know. APS. What's that? antiphospholipid syndrome so it's another Ooh, okay. clotting yeah yes, so it's another okay. clotting factor that can oftentimes be induced by pregnancy really and I so didn't know that. Mm-hmm, yeah i ended up getting that diagnosis pretty much right after this last loss and then i officially now have like a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis all the time because mm-hmm. after this last same thing happened the last two transfers where i would get joint pain immediately after transfer and it would not go away until after that pregnancy was concluded. And then this time it didn't go away, it just stayed. So that's really interesting that that all happened. So at that point, like I didn't really know what I was gonna do. We became an active family in adoption. We're still waiting, hopefully. You know, in the meantime, we actually decided to do one more round of IVF just to bank some embryos and see what would happen. And so we did, and I'm waiting for PGT results like right now. So we'll see. And the goal with that would be to save for a gestational carrier. Yeah. I think I'm done being pregnant. Like I don't, I don't think I can do that again. I I don't know, but I just don't know if I can emotionally, physically, why keep doing the same thing yeah. If it's not yielding different results, you know? So, yeah.
0: Well, and with everyone, I mean, things were changed. And like you said, it's wild. I find it very interesting too, learning about the body and all the things that you can learn from IVF, which like you mentioned, yes. I don't think a lot of people look at it that way or see it that way. Just like how a lot of people think, oh, you do IVF, you'll get pregnant. Like that's not a given kind of thing. There's just so much involved, but it can really teach you a lot because it is so controlled. Everything from, you know your eggs to your embryos to implantation and everything. It's a wild ride for sure. When you came to this conclusion of like, okay, I think we're we're going to set this part aside now and look into other options. I mean, how were you feeling? Were you feeling like a weight off your shoulders? I guess what was going through your mind at that point? Because I know for me, it was very easy to get like, I was so determined that we just kept doing things and doing things and doing things. And it wasn't until I stopped for a while and I was able to actually reflect on everything that had taken place. How did you feel during yeah. that time?
1: I think that's a really great question. Um, and honestly, one that I still like struggle with. I don't know if I've made the right decision. All I've been able to do is like make what I feel like is the next right decision. Yeah. Given the time and the evidence that I had in front of me. But one thing I started really like, I'm definitely a type A. I definitely am a control freak in a lot of ways. Mm. Like I like things neat and orderly and I like plans. Yeah. I like like all those types of things, right? So I think this is the first time I'd ever like had to sit with myself and be like, okay, so what if my plans and my destiny just do not ever intersect? What happens when they never, ever come together? Like, yeah. That's a thing that happens for people. Like, yeah. Do I just have to like accept for myself that that's might be what's happening with me? You know, it's the first time in my entire life where... And I'm sure you were like this, you know, our parents told us growing up, you can be anything you want to be. All you have to do is try. You just have to try. And this is the first time in my life where that is not the case. It did not matter how hard I tried. I was still not getting what I wanted. Like, and Mm -hmm. it didn't matter how hard I tried. Like, it did not matter. Something was still just not working. Yeah. So that was like a really hard conversation I had to have with myself and it's one that I'm still having with myself. It's and to this day, like I still feel fairly confident that I just don't know if I can be pregnant again. I just don't know if I trust myself to do that. I don't know. I mean it's yeah. just been it's been a hard time grappling with that. You know, I feel like people are really supportive in like the lead up to that. Right. The lead right. up to getting pregnant. And I mean there's also a lot of times when they're, that's not the case. But like where do you go get support when you have to make these really hard decisions? Like Maybe your destiny is not to have a biological child. Like, maybe it's just not. And where do I go to do that? And that conversation with your partner is really, really, really hard, especially Mm -hmm. when they really want to have a biological child. I mean, it's just really hard. It's all really hard. It's really hard.
0: I just agree a thousand percent. I mean... We're very similar. I'm type A as well. And yes, what you just said resonated with me because it's like, I've always been able to kind of get myself where I wanted to be as long as I tried hard enough. And same, my fertility and and growing my family has been the first thing that i have like, it doesn't matter. I'm doing all I can and I cannot make it work like the way that I envisioned it. And it's really hard to sit with yourself and, and realize that, like you said, the dreams and what you want, like they might not intersect and you have to kind of reimagine what that looks like which is hard to do. I'm still going through it too, you know, and we're, we're actively pursuing surrogacy. And it's still like, hasn't really sunk in that this is how we're growing our family. And I try to keep telling myself like this part, while I won't forget it, obviously, because it's life-changing, you know, all these things that you've experienced and I've experienced. Now I look at my kids and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't see them as these two like IVF amazing things that I did. I'm just like, they're my kids. And I don't even think about how they got here to be honest at this point. So yeah. I try to remind myself of that. And I think no matter what route you go, whether you have a biological child or not, I would like to assume that it's kind of the same idea. Once you are in that peaceful state of like, this is the way life went. And it takes a long time too, but I feel like I'm just now in this year, getting to a point where I'm like, wow, my life is so different because of everything I've experienced and and in a good way. Like at this point, I'm able to say that and it was all really hard. And like you said, there isn't a lot of support at this point. When when all is said and done and plans change or you pivot or you move on in your life and you decide that this journey's over, it's like, where do you go from here? Because that's when you start really processing things. And again, like like you mentioned, let's not forget, it, it takes two people. So you've got your husband's feelings and how they have reflected on everything or not. And it all kind of comes like honed in when you take that pause. So that makes total sense to me that you're still in it and still figuring it out. And I think it's one of those things that a lot of women can relate to. It's a lot of soul searching through infertility and you learn
1: a lot about yourself for better or worse, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's like the key right there, right? You learn so much about yourself that you didn't think you would ever have to learn. Right. You know, and it's something that every day I'm still learning more about. But instead of infertility taking up like a hundred percent of my day and a hundred percent of my brain space, I've had to like, like, what could I do with my day if I wasn't thinking about this? Think about how much room in my brain it would free up if I just Mm -hmm. if I could even just take a couple hours out of that day and not be thinking about my infertility journey. Like, yeah, what could I do? You know,
0: but at that point, too, I don't know if you've felt this way yet, but I had like a little bit of an identity crisis when we decided, like when we were done. Absolutely. I was not going to carry, like, attempt to get pregnant myself again. I was like, it's been so many years. I don't know who I am outside of trying to get pregnant and stay pregnant and be this fertility (laughs) vessel. Like, I don't know who I am. So it's, it's crazy to, picture life without that, but it's pretty freeing when you can free up your mind to consume other things.
1: For sure. And I think that that's a really big part of it is that like infertility hijacks your entire life, right? You plan your vacations or lack thereof around it. You're like, oh, well, I have a transfer in December. So in June, I might not be able to go to that wedding. So I'm going to go yeah. ahead and RSVP note to that, that, that destination wedding that you want to go to that's one of your really good friends. I mean, it literally reframes the way that you think about your future yeah. and what possibly could happen, which is mm-hmm. not very healthy. It turns out like yeah. in general.
0: like And you have to like adjust if- your thinking to uh, living in the moment again, because yeah, you're right. And I've always kind of been like this my whole life. Maybe it's a type A thing, but I'm always thinking about planning what's next, what's going to look like. And you kind of forget to live in the moment. I've kind of forgot that all those things that you have to every step of the way you're thinking about like, yeah, like, oh, can't go on that vacation. Or maybe we should save money because we're going to have to do another round or this and that. And it's, it's, it's always like three steps ahead of your life. Yeah.
1: For sure. And I am definitely that person. I'm just like you. Like I think 12 steps ahead always, I'm always trying to strategize in my brain, you know, and that strategy stronghold has been got to get pregnant, got to stay pregnant, got to have a baby. Like that's where it's all been rooted in instead of being rooted in like Let's have a happy like let's like let's enjoy this life. It's been for the last five years the opposite of that. Like how do I move forward and still have a baby and do that? And so You know, I think that that's been a big part of why I created the fertility resort, because I just keep going back to the sentiment of I just didn't know what I didn't know. Like this whole journey. And I still don't know what I don't know. And during this process, I met the most incredible woman. Her name is Dr. Erin Attaway. She's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, and she works specifically with fertility patients. And she was literally my lifesaver through this infertility IVF process. My clinic was like, you have to go see her. She's going to change your life. She's the only person we tell our patients to go see. And she literally did that. She was my coach. She helped me pivot my life. Like she's the one who sat me down and was like, okay, this might just not work for you. And that is a conversation that we need to have. You know, she was the first person that ever really held space for me for that to just Mm -hmm. be like, this really sucks. And let's just think about that for a minute. Yeah. And it was just like waterworks constantly because she was the first person that really told me it was okay to fail at something like, yeah, it's okay to just it's it not amazing work. amazing that you found somebody like that because there's not
0: a lot of people in this whole process that are going to be the ones to say that because they're all trying to, you know, quote unquote fix you and, and make this happen for you. But that's so great that you met her because... You need people in your life like that are going to be like real with it to help you navigate like, that it might not work. Otherwise, you just put
1: all your eggs in one like literally like one basket and are just going to keep plowing through. Right. And I'm just so thankful for her. She just like helped me understand the reality of the situation that this, this is what's happening and these are the options now. Like these yeah. are the things that you can do now to move forward. You know. And so like a year and a half ago is like when I first really started thinking about the fertility resort and creating a space that could provide you with answers to the questions that you didn't know you should ask. Like. Like before you even knew to ask them, you know, mm-hmm. like, could we improve the live birth rate if people just had the tools and resources to optimize their journey? At the beginning of their journey, as opposed to three years in and you're at the like, oh fuck situation, right? Right, right. Guess. Um no, all good. <laughs> but, like, but like, what if we could do that? Because that's essentially what Erin did for me is she yeah. like took all of my doctor's notes, all the things that they were trying to tell me, and she synthesized them down so that I could have real action steps and action plans to implement those things that they wanted, you know? And it's not like your doctors don't want you to be successful, they want you to be successful. But there's so much more information that they wish that they could provide to every patient that they just like, don't have the time to do, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and so- plus all the
0: different doctors, at least I learned, they all kind of have their own lane. Like an OB do. does this and you've got your reproductive endocrinologist and, and everyone has their own thing that they focus on. So they're all doing the best of what they know. But I just felt like it was my job to piece everyone together to really get a full
1: picture of what was going on. The whole body experience is so important when it comes to IVF and just reproduction in general. Like if something's wrong, Erin said to me one time, she was like, okay, you have to think about your body as like a refrigerator, right? She was like, you know, you have a carton of eggs that are sitting in your refrigerator, but in order for that carton of eggs to be fresh, First, you have to make sure that there's a plug to the refrigerator and then that Mm -hmm. plug is plugged in and there's power coming to the refrigerator. And then you have to make sure that the temperature is at the correct temperature to make sure that the eggs are going to be safe and they're going to be kept healthy for as long as possible. And then you have to clean out the refrigerator because if there's any rotten vegetables or like spoiled meat or anything like that, you have to clean that out. And then you have to do regular maintenance on the refrigerator to make sure that everything's in working order to keep your eggs safe and healthy. She was like, that's what you have to do with your body. You know, it's not just about the eggs, it's about the yeah. environment that your eggs are in. And how can we make that environment optimized for your unique fertility journey? So I love that. That's essentially- that is like
0: such a good picture. That makes so much sense to me. And I'm just thinking too, even For people who don't experience infertility or go through all these different things, like no one really thinks
1: about it like that. I feel like like the big picture. Right. But it is. It's the big picture. Right. And so that's what the fertility resort does. It's a community, of course, peer-to-peer support and then provider support as well. It's content. So it's evidence-based research in the form of live events, articles, all the things. And it's synthesized down into action plans so that you can really understand according to your diagnosis what you're experiencing, it's like fit for you, right? And then it's coaching. And by coaching, I kind of like hate that term a little bit because coaching can get a lot of like flack for a lot of different reasons because it's not coaching, but there's not a better word for it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So on the Fertility Resort platform, we have licensed mental health counselors that come in and they do weekly small group therapy sessions for people. We have weekly support groups. We have affiliate providers like doctors of acupuncture and Chinese medicine pelvic floor therapists who can come in and explain to you like what's happening when you go through a DNC and like the kind of trauma that your pelvic floor can go through when you're having a miscarriage or even just going through the IVF process in general, right? Like when you experience OHSS after a retrieval, there's so much that can happen to your pelvic floor. So we have that. We have perinatal yoga practitioners who come in and teach gentle movements so that you know like based on where you're at in your cycle or in your journey, you can still move your body and it's okay because moving your body is so important. So it's a collective of all these professionals in one space who can give you everything that you need to know in order to optimize your journey. So that's essentially what the Fertility Resort is.
0: (laughs) Literally amazing. When I first read that you were doing this, I was like, shut up. Where has this been my whole life? It's So great. And like you said, this is so helpful for women. You don't know what questions to ask or what to experience until it's already happening to you. And within a resource like this, oh my gosh, at least you will have, like, I didn't, just the few things you just mentioned, I was like, yeah, I didn't know any of that until I was going through it. And wow, what what an amazing space. And I love that there's group therapy too. That's just amazing.
1: That's such a big part of all of this, right? It's a big part. Yes. And a lot of times, and I'm going to tell you, I've been to see several therapists and, you know, unless they specialize in infertility, you're not going to get much out of it. But unfortunately, yeah. it's just such a hard space to exist in to share feelings without the professional you're sharing your feelings with knowing how to handle that, you know, yeah. like it's such a unique journey that isn't even that unique anymore, which is so wild to me. You know, one of the six couples thing. now, like, yeah, it's so strange, and the stigma behind it. I just think that that mm-hmm. is so poor, and there's so much with the fertility resort that's even more than that. That like we want to shed light, and like one of Aaron and I's big things is we think talking about I don't know about you, but talking about infertility in the workplace is really difficult. How much do you share? I mean, women are already scared to tell their boss that they're pregnant, right? They're just—it's right. already a thing for the majority of women. is kind of scary to do, right? Yeah. But like, how do you explain to your boss that you're going through IVF treatments that you're going to need off work? You don't know exactly when, but like, you're going to need to take an hour here or there, maybe three right. times a week to go get blood work or go to an ultrasound. Yeah. Or I don't know what day exactly I'm going to have my egg retrieval, but just so you know, I'm going to be out for two days, like yeah. sometime in two weeks. like so. And there's like not, not an expiration
0: on it because you never know. Like, if it's going to work or not. This could be ongoing for years. Like, you don't know. And explain that to an employer. Oh, my gosh.
1: So that's one thing that we want to do is we want to educate employers how to have these conversations and how to open up that door so that women feel, and even men who are going through this, like, how to handle that, how to handle your employees that are going through a really difficult time in their lives. So, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of advocacy that we know we really want to do to change the narrative. And it's not even, I mean, there's so many amazing companies and people out there who are doing that already, but infertility is a disease. It should not be treated like It's anything other than that. You know, you're going to talk about your uncle's cancer. You should be able to talk about your aunt's infertility journey or whatever it is. In Uh, the exact same token. Yeah, 100%. And I would love to know. I know they say
0: the statistics now are like one in six couples. but And it could just be kind of like one of those things. Once you own a silver Jeep, you see silver Jeeps on the street everywhere. You know, I feel like maybe it could just be my (laughs) space where I'm like convinced that every single person I know in life has infertility, but it's definitely more common than it used to be. And I'm sure a lot of that, too, is just I mean, there's a million factors, but also people are waiting longer to have kids, which can present problems and things. And it's really interesting that this should definitely be at the forefront of conversations and no one should be afraid to talk about it because you're right. It's not like something you choose to do. It's something that happens to you. It's a disease. I mean, I know the narrative with IVF has changed over the years because back then it used to feel like a luxury. Like, oh, you're just totally that's so great. And it's like, yeah, this wasn't really the plan, though. This isn't fun. And same thing with and I'm just learning now with the option of surrogacy or even adoption. You know, so many people are like, oh, why don't you just adopt? Why don't you just do this? Or you think that surrogates are for celebrities only. And it's like this luxury. And it's like, no, there's so many reasons why, you know, everyone has their own story about what has led to these decisions. And there's a lot involved with it. So all about no- talking about it. <laughs>
1: Well, there's no wrong way to grow your family. There is no wrong way to do it. Like everything is beautiful and it should be. And I think it's an amazing thing that we have science to have surrogates, gestational carriers to do these types of things, you know, because that's essentially our next step. Like if we're lucky enough to get any euploid embryos, I mean, yeah, they're going to be saved, you know, and it is a luxury in a sense that, I mean, most people can't afford a lot. Yeah, of people I was gonna say to it's go definitely routes. not
0: accessible to everyone, which is not lost on me for sure. It's yeah, but I'm still in awe that women are out there willing to do this for other people. It's it's crazy. for sure.
1: It's an incredible gift. Like if yeah. I could do it, I would do it for somebody else. I just yeah. think that's. I don't know. One of the most extraordinary gifts you could give somebody to like help them make life. I just think it's beautiful. And even with, you know, adoption, the whole toxic positivity problems that exist in the infertility world are things that I wish that I could educate. That's something that I really want to do. That's something that the fertility resort really wants to do is to create an education system for, you know, your great aunt Karen, who doesn't know what to say to you and oftentimes will say the wrong thing to you. Yeah. You know, like how can we create a new language so that everybody understands the right way to say things and how to be supportive yeah. of the people who are going through it. Right. So absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm like, where do you begin? You've got all these awesome things already going for, with the fertility resort, but I'm, I'm like feeling and I'm like, okay,
1: yeah. Like what can we, what are we going to do next? Like this <laughs> ah, I love it. In My day all day. I'm like, I have so many ideas and so many things I want to execute. And I'm like, okay, just one at a time. Yeah, one at a
0: time. Yes. But no, you guys, I can't wait to see what the Fertility Resort is going to do and is already doing for so many people. So how does someone join the Fertility Resort? What does that look like? What are the details of that?
1: Sure. So it is a membership-based community. It is an online community. It is available for your desktop and as a mobile app for iOS and Android. And so memberships, we're doing a promotion right now. We actually don't offer lifetime memberships, but it's something we decided to do last minute because the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, you don't know how long your journey is going to take, right? Like, you just don't know. So anyways, we're doing a promo right now for lifetime memberships. But typically, you'd be able to do a month-to-month membership. Or you can do a three-month membership or a year-long membership. And there's kind of like reasons for doing any of them, right? Three months is the average length of an IVF cycle, typically from egg retrieval to transfer. And a year is more often what most people experience, you know, but for that person that just needs a little bit of help to get them through the next little hump in their journey, a month to month membership is something that we recommend for those people, you know. So you can follow us on Instagram at The Fertility Resort, and then you can go and learn more about memberships on www.thefertilityresort.com.
0: That's amazing. And I will be sure to link it all in the show notes so everyone can just easily just click on it and find you guys. And you also are in the process of you will be having a podcast as well, right?
1: Yes. So just like Motherhood Intended is, there's a lot of like the dark, secret, creepy, weird stuff that happens when you're going through your infertility journey (laughs) that like people really don't want to talk about. So we have some pretty cool guests. Our podcast is called Protected Space. So like the title suggests, it's a protected space to talk about all things that are like the underbelly of infertility that you might not want to talk about to your best friend, but are things that you want to learn about, right? So, Yeah, definitely. That's essentially, that's the podcast. And that is coming out in September. And we're so excited to do that. And we're so excited to have you on our podcast. I know, I was just going to say, I'm so excited to
0: be on it and to start listening. (laughs) And I'm just excited for everything you're doing and uh, follow along because I'm so passionate in supporting this because it is very much needed in the infertility community. And it's going to make a big impact on many people's lives. So thank you so much for you guys putting this out into the world. I'm so excited for the Fertility Resort.
1: Thanks, Jacqueline. I'm so excited I was on this podcast. Today. It made my yeah. morning.
0: This is awesome. <laughs> this is so, I, thank you so much for your own story. I know listeners out there are going to relate to one piece or all of it. We all have our own journeys, but the more I've talked to other women, there's so many different pieces that we all experience through this whole process and can relate to. So it's always nice knowing that, you know, we're not alone through all of this. So thank so you. So true.
1: Thank you, Jacqueline. This has been awesome.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Motherhood Intended. I am always just so inspired by the brave women who step up and share their stories of infertility and loss. It is not an easy thing to share with the world, but the more women that step up and share their experiences with infertility, the more women that are not going to feel alone. I hope with every guest that I have on the show, you can take away something. You can feel seen, heard, supported, educated, inspired. That is the goal of this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to hit the fifth star and leave a review. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I absolutely love the feedback and leaving a review for a podcast is honestly the best way that you can support this show. With so many new podcasts popping up every single day, it helps the show be visible. It helps lead other listeners to motherhood intended. And honestly, the feedback is just priceless. If your kids are headed back to school this week, I just want to say, mama, you did it. I know the summer can be so much fun, but can also be so hard having all the kiddos home as well. So yay, have yourself a little drink, have yourself a fancy coffee, just enjoy the morning of dropping your kids back off at school. Or for the moms like me who are maybe sending your little ones off to school for the first time, it's okay to shed that tear. I know, time flies. If you're listening and you're currently in a cycle of IVF or navigating a loss or infertility, I want you to know that I am here for you. And so is the motherhood intended community, there is always going to be an abundance of advice and suggestions when you're navigating infertility. And I know firsthand that sometimes you just want to feel heard. You just want to vent about how much it sucks. And that's what I'm here for. And so is the motherhood intended community. So if you're going through this right now, in the next week, feel free to reach out to me. You can send me a DM on Instagram, message me on Facebook through the motherhood intended community group. There are so many women here to support you. That's all for today. I hope you have a great weekend and you'll hear from me again next week.